After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here to preview week two of college baseball action around the country. It is February 24 as we record this. And uh, the second weekend of the season is, is about ready to get started in around the country. Some, some series, a, a couple of them are, are starting tonight, of course, on, on Thursday. But the full action gets underway in earnest on Friday, and we are going to uh, going to run through it all. Give you give you a, a look at what what you need to be watching around the country this weekend. So, Joe, we're uh, we're excited that the college baseball is back. We had midweek baseball for the first time of of the season this week. That that dealt uh, some some intrigue that we, we can touch on here before we we dive full bore into to week two. But it's uh, the the Opening week is is gone. The the banner the the bunting is down. The, the the fancy logos that everyone created like those are those are moving on, and, and we're just into now the the full full bore of of college baseball action. Yeah, and it's almost kind of fitting, right? Because that is true. And also in week two, after something of an idyllic opening weekend, just from the standpoint of the games were good, and even though it wasn't an opening weekend that we've seen in some past years in terms of just the high wattage matchups. It was, it was a good weekend with a lot of interesting series and, and some tournaments. And also, as I tweeted about over the weekend, like the weather was really good. There was the only cancellation we had was a, like a travel related one, not a weather related one. Although I guess weather was part of the travel snafu, but it, it wasn't like everybody was at the field waiting to play and they couldn't play. So weather was really good. And the second weekend is just kind of like a dose of reality of, of also there's this because it's, it's a lot lighter on the schedule. Um, there's, there really isn't, you know, a lot of uh, high wattage stuff this weekend. And Oh, by the way, uh, the weather's going to be really cold in a lot of places. And even in some places where it is not normally very cold, which I think is going to create a little more chaos this weekend. And already things have, have shifted around significantly more than they did leading up to last weekend. Yeah. The, uh, you're already seeing schedules moved around to try and accommodate. And yeah, there's, there's no way that we don't lose some games related to weather this weekend. Uh, so if you're going to, to the ballpark, uh, definitely check the weather, probably need to bundle up uh, in a way that you didn't necessarily last weekend. Uh, you know, just seeing some of the midweek action 
uh, you know, you, you could see how, how cold fans were in the stands and uh, deservedly so when we're talking about temperatures of the 30s, like in, in Ruston last night. Um, and, and I know throughout Texas and, and Louisiana, um, Oklahoma, the, that, that area of the country was, uh, was certainly in, in the freezer um, and that, that continues. So uh, yeah, we'll, we're, we're moving past idyllic, <laughs> as you said, Joe, and into, uh, into a little bit colder weather, reminding everyone that the sport starts in February. And on the subject of, uh, of, of midweek baseball, I guess, Joe, let's quickly dive into a few of the results that, that stood out to us. Um, notably, UCLA lost twice. Uh, that, was, that was a bit surprising. They lost to Pepperdine on Tuesday and then Nebraska Omaha on Wednesday, despite getting an electric debut uh, from Thatcher Hurd, one of the, the top players in their recruiting class this year. Um, we, uh, I, I referenced Rust in there. La Tech beat LSU on Wednesday night in LSU's first visit to La Tech in quite some time. Uh, the, the folks in Ruston look to be very fired up for that one, and, and they walk away happy. Uh, Oklahoma State fell to Sam Houston State. Arizona lost to Grand Canyon. So, I mean, there, there were some upsets, as, as there always are in midweek baseball. There, there were some upsets, and uh, those, were, those were a few of the bigger ones. Yeah, Jacksonville took down Florida State as well. That was another one that kind of uh, in, a, in a very unmidweek, like three to two score on Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, it was there were there were definitely some things out there. I have to admit that I, um, you know, some of it maybe was coming off a, a weekend of, of travel and, and needing to kind of reset. Like I didn't catch as much of it as I, I would in, in a normal year, except little things here and there. But some, I think some interesting stuff there. I, Louisiana Tech went over LSU kind of strikes me as, it, it, we will perhaps uh, that's a little tease for the listeners talk a little more about law tech a little later but that that does strike me as an actual resume boosting win and so much of this it's hard to tell what you're really looking at right so sam houston gets an extra inning it's kind of a bizarre extra inning win over oklahoma state i think that was a 1-1 game going into extra innings that had been six to three um so just kind of a bizarre situation there but um you know what does that mean like it probably does mean by the way with Sam Houston also taking three or four from Nebraska to open the season. It probably does mean that um, I, in my previewing the whack this year was not giving Sam Houston enough credit for what this team could be. I was a little bit compared to previous years down on uh, that team. They so far have proven me wrong on that. So, okay, that's probably true, but does it mean that that's like an at large resume builder? Not necessarily right because of the whack being what it is. So it is kind of hard this early in the season to know exactly what to make of these, which is why, by the way, I actually do really enjoy kind of the midweek games we get into April and May, because that is the point of the season where you can really see those Tuesday and Wednesday games, not necessarily take center stage because it's still a very weekend centric sport. But at that point of the season, you can actually kind of game out what midweek results mean in terms of postseason resume, which is something you can't really do right now. So we can celebrate you know, individual accomplishment and, and, and individual wins here. We just kind of have to wait and see what it means. And the difference I think here with like UCLA, for example, is that I do think setting resume stuff aside, like they lose a couple of midweek games and they got a, a good challenge from CSUN over the weekend. And some of that is because, you know, CSUN's got a pretty good team. Um, but I think what we see there is painfully young team at UCLA. Uh, this is, maybe kind of the season they're just going to have right where you're going to struggle with Omaha and 
Pepperdine, and then you might on the weekend compete better than you should against a really good Pac-12 team, or they're going to be at that Minute Maid tournament in a couple weekends. Maybe they do better there than you would expect because the talent is really good. It's just really inexperienced. And so I think this might just be a, a window into what we see from the Bruins. I was most intrigued by Grand Canyon beating Arizona 19 to three, mostly because I just watched Arizona over the weekend and they looked like they were the best team in, uh, in like no doubt about it. They were the best team in the state farm college baseball showdown in Arlington. And then they go home and they get worked by Grand Canyon, which is a good team. And everyone knows what, uh, what Grand Canyon is capable of. I guess we're, we're sitting here singing the praises of the whack uh, here uh, uh, on the podcast today. Uh, with you talking about Sam Houston too, but Arizona had seven errors in that game and they still like, it only amounted to six unearned runs. They still gave up plenty of runs, but you know, you, you dive into this game a little more and you know, it, it just seems like a really strange game. Although defense is something to watch for Arizona going forward. They have a completely new look lineup, which means that their defense is new look as well. And they've, I don't want to say shoehorn guys into positions, but like there are guys that kind of had to learn positions on the fly here uh, since the fall. And, you know, maybe, maybe this is just something that's on the table right now. Uh, I, I'm sure as the season goes on and players get more comfortable and everything like this will become less likely, but it, it just seems like something that, uh, that, that has to be, you know, watched with Arizona going forward. And after the Wildcats scored so many runs over the weekend, they were averaging more than 10 runs a game coming out of the weekend uh, to see them only score three midweek against Grand Canyon is a little bit jarring, but you know, you knew that the offense wasn't going to continue at that level all season long. I just thought that maybe it would continue at least until uh, into the weekend uh, and, and, given who Arizona's playing this weekend, maybe beyond that as well. But uh, that was not the case. Grand Canyon was able to to go out and, and pick up a, a significant victory. Yeah, I think one of the other things you can see in midweek games sometimes, and I think Arizona could typify this, is which teams are maybe a little bit top-heavy when it comes to things like pitching depth. You know, I, I think of a team like Georgia Tech in this way, where we've talked about it time and again, but that's a team that, you know, typically has a, a good small handful of arms at the front of the rotation and one or two bullpen guys, and then their their bullpen and their depth can be a real issue. And, and oh, by the way, Georgia Tech lost a midweek game to Georgia Southern this week. This week, uh, Not a lot of shame in that good Georgia Southern team. Also gave up seven runs to Presbyterian on Wednesday and fell behind in that game early. So I don't say that to pick on Georgia Tech. I just say that's an example of a program that maybe Arizona falls into a similar bucket of, it, it, maybe in this case, where that was a team that over the last several years, we've talked a little bit about what is their pitching depth like? We might've liked individual pieces, but we're concerned about depth. And I think you saw that a little bit in the stat sheet last year that that kind of reared its head. And they, you know, we focus more on the, the offensive losses and rightfully so, but there were also some on the mound in terms of, of you know, uh, just depth guys, uh, you know, a guy like Riley Cooper, for example, goes to LSU, you know, um, Gil Luna has moved on out of the program. Those aren't big, bold face names, but those are, quality pitchers that are now no longer in the program. So they are retooling a little bit on the mound also from a staff that, that wasn't necessarily the deepest to begin with. So I think that is like a, a little bit of like a low key storyline for Arizona too, is that these midweek games could get a little bit wonky when you're playing in a lot of offensive environments, which is true. 
and maybe they still got some questions on the mound. Yeah, and you know, one thing for Arizona and several teams, obviously, is that you're just trying guys out right now. You need to see what you have, and um, you know, as they the, they gave up, I think it was seven runs in the first three innings to Grand Canyon, and once that's happened, you know, you're you're, you're going to manage the game differently, and you know, as the ball rolls, you know, you just you you get guys in into the game, right, and have less regard for trying to keep the score close because what does it really matter um, or, or whatever. And, and so Arizona's used something like 15 pitchers so far this season. Obviously that's not going to continue all year long. They're going to find out who they can pitch and who they can't pitch and who they trust and who they trust in which roles. And uh, you know, so this is just early season stuff, nothing to, to go crazy over, but that was, th- there were some loud results out there. And the thing is that, uh, in RPI's eyes, these WIT games all count the very same. So just because you know we can write off or explain away why some of these things happened, the teams that are taking advantage um, are still getting the RPI benefit. And you know if you're losing games that you shouldn't be losing, you're still being penalized by RPI at, at the same level as it would be if this were still or if this were April. So. Uh, Maybe this will be helpful to the WAC uh, as, as Grand Canyon and Sam Houston. If, if they can continue this, uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But but for now, uh, uh, some some significant or at least intriguing results around the country this midweek. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get here to uh, to to the the second weekend of action. And before we go in and and pick the uh pick the games that we're going to spotlight and and talk about the keys to uh joe i I just want to acknowledge that this is not the best weekend on paper in terms of blockbuster matchups so you know if you're someone that that's looking to score some brownie points with your significant other uh this weekend might be a good weekend to uh, you know, instead of carving out a whole bunch of time to watch as much of, you know, the, the big tournament as, as you're able to, or wanting to, to watch, you know, three different top 25 showdowns, like this is, this is not that weekend. So, you know, if you're looking to get to Home Depot on Saturday, like this, this might be, this might be the week to do it. If, uh, if that, that, that's something that you're, you're trying to, trying to get accomplished in the next few weeks, I, I would say this weekend might be, might be the time to take advantage of, of a on paper weaker schedule. And, and we all know in college sports on paper, weaker schedules sometimes produce the most pandemonium, but uh, at least on paper, this is, this is not the strongest week of the calendar. Yeah. I think it's good advice. Like, uh, you know, so much of, I mean, you and I are obviously in a unique position because we do this for a living, but I, I, I know this time of year, like, and my wife by this point knows this time of year, kind of the rhythm of the schedule. And so for example, Thursday night tends to be date night because not a lot of games. It's obviously not over the weekend. And so, you know, uh, you kind of learn those rhythms, but yes, I mean, just generally speaking, this weekend is a, is a good time. Take, uh, take your significant other out, enjoy the family. If the weather is good, although it sounds like the weather is not going to be great in a lot of places, including here in the in the triangle, at least on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so, you know, get out and, and do something. Um, you know, this, this is an opportunity to do so probably a little bit of a lull in the schedule and look, you know, there will still be, you know, you come back in the house after a day out Saturday, you know, you, there'll still probably be some PAC 12 night games on or something, you know, like 
there will still be some opportunities for you to sneak some stuff in. The other advice I would give, if you're someone who is just a rabbit over this stuff and insists on still uh, following college baseball this weekend, this weekend probably is a little bit of an opportunity to, in addition to watching whoever, whichever your team is, this is probably an opportunity to kind of check in on some teams you might not get much of a chance to watch otherwise, maybe a team that's piqued your interest, that's in a smaller league or a team, maybe just a major conference team. And like, look, if, if, if there's going to be a bunch of blowout games all over the place anyway, like, let me just kind of focus in on this one team, or I want to see this one pitcher, all that kind of stuff. This is maybe a weekend to, to do that. Um, I'm kind of looking forward maybe to doing a little bit of that myself, not having to be quite so focused in on a specific series or tournament. And I'm not, I'm not going to be on the road out of town this weekend. So like there is some opportunity for that. So I'm looking forward to that piece. So that would be my, my other bit of advice. If you are someone who's going to be watching this stuff anyway, like take a little time to find something below the radar and we'll have some recommendations for you later in this pod on that. Um, but you know, find something that intrigues you below the surface. And, and maybe this is a chance to, to spend a little more time on that. I would wholeheartedly endorse that suggestion as well. All right, so we'll uh, we'll get to the the games to watch here uh, around the country this weekend here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, Joe, we're back. We've got uh, a, a slate of games that we, we have selected to, to go over here. We've got uh, you know, some of the top games around the country that we're going to talk about here, and then Joe's going to help you find some of those under-the-radar gems that he, uh, he talked about there just before the break. As I said, this is not a super headliner week, uh, so I guess, Joe, the 
best thing we've got going around the country again on paper is the round rock classic held in round rock texas uh it's going to be a little chilly there they've already moved game times around to get off of you know you'll get around night games uh you know eliminate those um but it's a it's an intriguing field arkansas indiana louisiana lafayette and stanford obviously the two biggest teams there are the top 10 teams arkansas and stanford and they're lined up to play on saturday afternoon now it's supposed to be saturday night which is typically the biggest game at that tournament uh so they, they are delivering a top 10 matchup indiana however looked poor over the weekend at clemson uh as they got swept uh the cajuns went two and one last weekend uh against a good uc irvine team i'm intrigued by what what uh what ul is going to bring to this thing um but it, it, it's a good field um not as good as you know sometimes we we, we see from from this tournament but it, it, it is a good field and i am happy that it's delivering us a, a top 10 game at the very least yeah it's um that that standalone game you know is kind of like a, a beacon here for for this weekend and hopefully the weather holds out and is not either either a doesn't drive this game to be you know pushed in some way or you know i don't even know what they would do in terms of pushing it to their day that i guess they just have to cancel it if it was that bad but um i hope we don't it doesn't come to that and i hope it doesn't affect the game too terribly much because yeah it is that is the big the big headliner there and the stylistic thing there will be obviously in that Saturday night matchup is, you know, okay, Stanford pitching staff, how much have you grown up really? And the Arkansas offense did not have the type of weekend opening weekend against Illinois state that they probably were looking to have. And some of that's probably Illinois state pitched better than we would have expected. And some of it's just, you know, some, sometimes these things happen opening weekends and slumps and things of that nature happen, but you know, um, that'll be the big matchup there. And, and, Stanford, I think, had some good things uh, last weekend on the mound. Obviously, Alex Williams pitched pretty well. Drew Dowd was was a big part of it for me because he's Alex Williams is Alex Williams. When he's been healthy, he's been very effective. The bigger question was a guy like Drew Dowd in the rotation was okay from freshman to sophomore year. How much of a leap has he made? And he was he was very good over the weekend against Fullerton. But there's a big jump between what Fullerton brings to the table offensively on the high end and what Arkansas brings to the table offensively. And so. Um, as a whole, that matchup, that's what strikes me as, as the key piece of, of that matchup there. How much does the Arkansas offense kind of come a little bit out of its opening weekend slumber? And how ready is the Stanford pitching staff to deal with that if the Razorbacks are swinging it a little bit better? So I, I think the weather there is very intriguing as well, because, you know, it, if it is a colder and windier or wetter day, that does not play into offenses typically. And so you have two offenses here that can really hit very well, uh, hit for power, and it's probably not going to be a power hitting environment. So then who's, uh, who's better equipped to, to deal with that? And, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, um, you know, I have no doubt that, that both offenses are, are, you know, they, they can adjust just because Stanford is is used to playing in a more offensive or a, a more defensive park than Arkansas doesn't mean that, um, you know, Arkansas won't be able to, to figure out what they need to do offensively that day. I also significantly game two of the, the weekend that the Saturday game 
last weekend is what Stanford lost against Fullerton, and it just didn't go great on the mound that day for Quinn Matthews. So he's really going to need to bounce back. They, they've announced him as the starter that day. So again, assuming everything stays on schedule there, you're going to get Quinn Matthews, and they're going to the, the Cardinal are going to need a better start from him against the the Hogs. Um, so you talked with Monty Lee this week, uh, the Clemson head coach for for your 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 piece uh, in Three Strikes about Clemson. Uh, but, I, you know, they they played IU. What what did you learn from him talking about that series? Like, is is there huge concerns right now about the way IU pitched last weekend? Or did, did that seem to be kind of a fluky situation? What, what, what's, your, what's your read on the Hoosiers coming out of week one? Yeah, I think the series was closer than it looks in the score. But I mean, you see the 19 to four game and like you think, okay, this, this weekend was a blowout because on Friday it was nine to nothing really nine. The Friday nine, nothing one was really the only blowout from beginning to end. Clemson really kind of ran away with, um, with the the third game with some big innings in the middle to late innings. And so um, I, so I, if you're, if you're looking for silver linings, if you're Indiana, it's, you know what, we, we could have easily won that Sunday game that went to extra innings. Clemson walked it off. That's an easy win. And you, you went on the road to Clemson and you took one out of three. You obviously feel better had that actually happened versus what they're looking at now versus zero and three, but you weren't that far off from that. Also Clemson put up some runs. It was just kind of an okay weekend for Clemson offensively. Um, you know, it was, the, the numbers don't really necessarily stand out at you. I think they just did a good job of kind of cleaning up their base runners and not leaving a lot of guys on and getting big hits, things of that nature. Um, you know, I would be a little bit concerned if, if for Indiana, I would actually be maybe a little more worried offensively just because that was a concern they had last year where Indiana has been known for having these kind of impact impact offenses through the years. And, and from going from Tracy Smith to Lamonis and, and now Jeff Mercer and it last year, it just really wasn't that for one reason or another. And I think it was easy to kind of like hand wave away some of it because the big 10 was just weird last year. Right. Um, but they went out this weekend and hit 184 as a team. And Mac England is a really talented pitcher for Clemson on Fridays. And so, okay, do, do we, do we want to, speaking of hand-waving things, do we want to hand-wave that? Okay, sure. But then Saturday and Sunday, there wasn't a lot more else going on, and the Clemson bullpen gave up like two runs in 18 and a third innings. And maybe the Clemson bullpen is better than, than anticipated, but word association with Clemson going into this year was not necessarily just like really high-quality depth on the mound. And they mostly shut down the Indiana offense all weekend. So that actually, to me, is a little bit of a, a bigger concern because – you know, the formula for IU in the past has been, Hey, we're going to score runs in bunches and we're going to piece together things in the mound with good college pitchers. Um, and not having the offensive piece to do that, I think kind of upsets the apple cart for them. So, um, I will be looking for them to maybe show a little bit more of a sign of life this weekend. If they don't, I mean, Indiana's going to get buried under it here pretty quickly, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, they, they are in dire need of a bounce back and it's a, it's a tricky weekend to, be needing to to bounce back i'm uh like i said the the cajuns off to a nice start they're three and one after beating southeastern louisiana midweek they've won three straight since losing on opening day they are not fully clicking offensively i don't think yet um connor kimple has been really good so far he has three home runs for them and cj willis has been 
pretty good as well offensively. And after that, it, it's it, it it thins out a little bit. Um, they're they're going to need some guys to step up, and I have no doubt that they will. Matt Deggs is an outstanding hitting coach, but they're hitting two thirty as a team, and um, you know just haven't haven't really locked in yet. I don't think, and I, I don't know whether this weekend. Again, it's a it's a really tough weekend. These teams all can pitch pretty well. I, I don't know that this weekend is is the weekend where where it all clicks for them. But if they're able to keep what they've been doing going and, and they've had enough on the mound to to win these games, um, you know, they, they they're in a position to to make a bit of a statement this weekend. The Sun Belt looks to be pretty wide open, um, and they're certainly one of the favorites to to jump in there and. This weekend would be a chance to really, you know, plant the flag and say we are, we are a team in the Sun Belt that is ready to to go out and and contend and and ultimately win this conference. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about narrative building, like this is definitely that type of weekend. You're coming off of a really nice weekend series win against UC Irvine. You know, great crowds, by the way, out in Lafayette. No surprise there, but coming into this weekend and, and doing being able to win a couple of games here and coming out with a winning week, winning weekend, I think would, would start to try to create that narrative around UL that, Hey, this is, this is the team to watch in the Sun Belt, which to your point seems largely wide open. And I know when I was, you and I were trying to put together an initial field of 64, the Sun Belt was, was one of those leagues when you, we have to pick an automatic bid winner to slot into the field. And it was just kind of like a shoulder shrug, like, ah, you know, like it could be any number of, of these teams. One thing that I, I did like about what the Cajuns did offensively or, or have done over the last week or so is that, you know, the best Matt Deggs offenses have kind of been agents of chaos and they do have 10 stolen bases. They're, they're 10 for 10 stealing bases through four games. Max Marshock, the Texas Tech transfer, who obviously plus plus speed, but didn't get on base enough at Texas Tech and the opportunities he had to really take advantage of that speed, wasn't a perfect weekend over the uh, for him or a perfect first week because he's you know struck out six times and fourteen at bats. But you know he's also put some hits together. He's five for five in stolen bases. Obviously, that's a, a positive sign there. So uh, if the Cajuns are really rolling offensively, they're going to be doing things like that. And so far, they've shown an ability to do that. To your point, it's just going to be, are you actually able to get on base enough to to make those kinds of things happen? Because th- that style of play is predicated on the first piece, which is getting on base. No doubt about that. And this is, you know, they, they are playing a very difficult schedule this year. They've, you know, they already played UC Irvine, which was last year's Big West champs and came into this year with a lot of fanfare. They're now at this tournament playing two top 10 teams and Indiana Next week, they go back home to get Southern Miss. And, you know, I mean, so that that's that's three really strong weeks to start the season. Uh, and then Houston comes to town and I mean, we'll see what UH is. But I mean, as as the as non-conference schedules go, this is one of the tougher ones in the sport. So, uh, you know, they not only do they have to survive this week, but they got to keep it going. And it, they're off to a nice start here. And I'm I'm curious to learn more about UL here this weekend. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's move it on back across to, uh, to your neck of the woods there in North Carolina, where you have East Carolina taking on University of North Carolina. Um, this is a split series. They're playing the first two games in Chapel Hill before moving the fin- for the finale to Greenville. 
they last played this as a weekend series in 2018. Uh, they've played midweek since then, but this is a return to the weekend for, for this in-state rivalry. Two teams in very intriguing places. ECU, of course, coming off of a very disappointing opening weekend series sweep at the hands of Bryant. Uh, they went out and, and got a win midweek, but they are, you know, they're still smarting from, from that opening weekend, need something uh, to turn around here. And UNC, on the other hand, was very good offensively over opening weekend against Seton Hall and is looking to uh, to build off that momentum and, and to show uh, those of, uh, you know, the show the ACC that they're not taking a step back this year, that they they're ready to um, you know contend for a, a regional bid. We didn't have them in our initial field of 64 in the preseason. We were not alone in that. Uh, it seems like the consensus is that UNC is kind of destined for the bubble again. Uh, last year, they ended up on the right end of that. Uh, this year, you know, they're, they're going to try and, and go even further. But, uh, you know, preseason, the projections had been that they would be on the wrong end of the bubble. Uh, this weekend, they have a chance to, to make a statement and say, no, the Tar Heels are, 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 are they're growing up, they're ready uh, for more. So a big weekend for, for both of these teams after a very different opening weekend series. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to know what, what we have with North Carolina so far. It's no disrespect to Seton Hall. It's just that we, you know, you and I don't exactly know what, Seton Hall is and so UNC dominating that series is is better than the alternative certainly um, but you know just don't know exactly what to take from that you can you can look at little individual pieces and and take them I think as as positive signs so that the fact that they got you know just really good comprehensive offensive performances and, and especially got big weekends from a guy like Vance Honeycutt uh, one of their top freshmen coming in they were going to need him to be a piece of it and it looks like so far he has been so I think you can look at individual things like that and take them as good signs. I just don't know if we want to go any further than that necessarily in, in terms of drawing conclusions ultimately from what we saw first weekend. It's a tough spot for UNC too, just because I think um, there's, you know, the, not that the motivation was really going to be a struggle. I think that gets overblown oftentimes about motivation and play because the, you know, the players want to do well. No one goes in there just kind of blase about how they want to perform, but you know, ECU knows they need this. Um, talk about teams that could, you talked about this a little bit when we recap the weekend. You know, ECU, uh, it's not a murderer's row on their schedule necessarily, but it's it's a bunch of really competitive games that they're going to have to play well to win. And they showed, you know, if they can get swept by Bryant, they could get swept or lose a series to any number of teams in front of them on their schedule. So ECU needs it, and that's not going to make life any easier for UNC. It's also, anytime you have these types of rivalries where it's, you know, the big flagship state school playing, you know, the, the perceived smaller school that is pretty proud of itself in terms of history and tradition and, and wants to prove that it's just as good. Like there's those dynamics going on here that always kind of create like a, a tinderbox for really uh, emotional series that, you know, kind of give you like uh, just kind of wild results over the course of an entire weekend. So um, I think there's some of that going on that would help ECU as well. So I think it's a tough spot for North Carolina. Obviously, we we believe in ECU's talent and thought a lot of them coming into the season. Um, last weekend's results are, are a little bit wonky, but I, I think the heels are going to get a, a, a good shot here from, from ECU that's going to be a pretty motivated group. One thing that I will say that is pretty encouraging about what UNC did this 
over the last week, they also beat Elon on, uh, on Tuesday, is that they have 17 extra base hits so far. Seven of those are homers. Um, you know, yes, we're very unsure of what the competition is, and, and that's really putting it nicely. We're pretty sure that neither Elon nor Seton Hall is particularly good this year. Uh, but this is what you want to see uh, a team do to lesser competition, not just beat them, but like really take it to them and leave no doubt. And so the fact that Johnny Kasknazi is out there hitting nine for 15 to open the season and has three doubles and a home run and, and Vance Honeycutt already has three homers. You know, th- these are, these are very good things to see if you are, if you are UNC, the Tar Heels were particularly young last year offensively. So, you know, there, there is room for growth from where they were last year and quite possibly we're, we're seeing that already, uh, but we're going to find out an awful lot more about the, the heels and their, their younger lineup this weekend. Um, Joe, you also said something there that I would love to examine further, and that's uh, what is Seton Hall really? And really, what is, what is Seton Hall? Like, what, what is Seton Hall? How did they name that school? Th- these are the questions I have. Well, yeah, I mean, I, and that question is probably going to go unanswered unless you'd like me to just sit here and <laughs> Google that in the background here. And, and, and specifically, like, which of Seton Hall and Seton Hill came first? And then whichever one came second, did they like, oh, God, we really want to call it this. But like, should we? Is that too confusing? Because um, I know now, like when I am writing up like a preview thing and somebody transfers from Seton Hill, because apparently and I don't say this to to. Uh, it's quite a good school correct yeah so like seton hill actually puts out players and like there's always a seton hill transfer like floating around somewhere and so i always have to like be extra cautious to like make sure i'm i'm saying division two seton hill uh because people just assume you mean seton hall so um uh yeah anyway so so i I have an answer oh wow i I filibustered enough enough. all right to go to the wikipedia Let's hear Founded it. in 1856 by then uh-huh. Bishop James Roosevelt Bailey and named after his aunt, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. There oh, it is. there we go. I mean, it's a boring answer. Like, no disrespect. I mean, that is kind of boring. <laughs> like, the only Seton Hall history I'm really interested in is like Mo Vaughn and Craig Biggio and John Valentin and those, I am hopeful uh, that guys. so Seton Hall last year had what was a pretty good team that fell short of you know, the top of the Big East um, in large part, thanks to UConn, uh, that team broke up in a big way. Like they, they, all, they, they lost all kinds of players from, from that team. Uh, I'm hopeful that someday Seton Hall can, can get back because it, th- this is a, a program with, with a rich history. And like you mentioned, I mean, Mo Vaughn went there. Like there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history there and uh, it can be a good baseball program and has been in, in recent years, even, but this year uh, they are, very much rebuilding and i think you saw that opening weekend yeah it's a uh i'm with you there like it's kind of a that's such a unique little cutout of history because it's it's not as if that also created like this 20 or 30 year run of just dominance as a northeastern program for seton hall it was a pretty narrow uh span of time there but they were in terms of northeastern teams they were really producing talent at a clip that nobody else really was and that gives us great pictures like of Mo Vaughn and a seat because Mo Vaughn is built like Mo Vaughn, right? And like 
those like horizontal stripe uniforms that Seton Hall wore that have come now come back around several years, several decades later, but just like on a guy the size of Mo Vaughn are not necessarily like the sleekest look. And then also, you know, these a little tiny Seton Hall hat, like sitting on the, just the top of his head. Um, just a, a massive human Mo Vaughn was. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen what it was like with Mo Vaughn swinging a minus five aluminum bat. That had to be kind of a particular, <laughs> a particular treat. Um, Maybe not for pitchers. But yeah. And not for pitchers, probably so much. That was probably not so much of a treat. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was, you talk about Northeastern, now we're on a, a real aside here, but when I was over the weekend talking to CNS coach Tony Rossi, and he was reminiscing about some of the Northeastern teams in their past, and he was out there having to deal with those Seton Hall teams and Hartford's Jeff Bagwell, like at the same exact time. Um, so just a little, little bits of Northeastern college baseball history there that I think kind of get forgotten. No doubt about that. All right. Well, let's uh, let's stray from the Northeast and let's head back to Texas, where Alabama is taking on the Horns, the number one Horns. Um, this is the kind of the second straight year Texas has had a, a intriguing SEC series. Last year, they they had South Carolina come into uh, uh, into Austin. This isn't quite that good. We're still trying to figure out what we've got in Alabama, but Alabama's picked up its wins so far this season. They're coming off of an NCAA regional appearance for the first time since I believe it was 2014. Uh, And now they have to go face the number one team in the country. That's very much playing like the number one team in the country. Yeah. I mean, this is a weekend where this feels like, I don't want to say the results don't matter for Alabama. They most certainly do. Um, however, what I would say about this weekend is it, it feels like the type of weekend where the win loss results are secondary to how do you look stacked up against the best team in the country? Because we saw Texas playing a team that is not good in rice. Um, at least right, right now that rice is just not playing well. I mean, they, they won a midweek game against Houston Baptist, which by the way, was like a very specific piece of Houston baseball thing, because that's Lance Berkman versus Jose Cruz jr. Uh, coaching there. But Rice really struggled that weekend and has a lot of stuff to work out. And it's just obviously not nearly as talented. And we knew that, but they looked particularly bad against Texas. And so Alabama is going to be something better than that. We have to assume, but how much better, you know, do you do you win a game and feel pretty good about that? Are you, do you win a game and you're close in both of the others and just one of the others? Um, do you fall off at the end of the weekend? Are you cl- close on Friday, a little less close on Saturday and the bottom falls out Sunday. So, um, again, like, I don't want to say the results don't matter here because, Hey, you know what, if Alabama comes out and, and, and wins some games this weekend they're that's really going to kickstart any sort of at large hopes they have. Um, but I think it is more for Alabama to do with how close are we really to being among the elite in the sport? Because. I don't think we've predicted that for them, but I think it can give us a little window into how close this team is really to being a postseason team again, uh, to taking a step forward in the SEC against a team that, you know, oh, by the way, will be in the SEC soon, but is certainly operating at a level as high as anybody they're going to see in the conference. Texas plays nine SEC games this year because they also return that trip to South Carolina um, in the fourth week of the year, and they play two SEC teams at the uh, Shriner College Classic um, in a week's time, and then they have their uh, their game against AM midweek 
so they're they're already building an SEC schedule. Not not that they needed to, but they're they're already doing that. Um, Alabama has hit pretty well so far this week uh, this year. Pretty well is probably not even giving them enough credit. They've been a good offensive team to this point. Uh, they're now going to face. We've said it. I've said it plenty of times. The best pitching staff in the country. Uh, so how? Yeah, to your point, Joe, are they able to are they able to hang with that? Is uh, is this Alabama offense ready for that? But but the bigger question for me is is the Alabama pitching staff ready for this? Because the lineup returned a lot of pieces from a year ago. The pitching staff is a little bit different of a, of a look this year, and you know, so I'm I'm very intrigued to see how how that piece of it goes for the tide this weekend uh just what what do these arms have against against the horns grayson hit um you know has has been uh you know he was really good on opening weekend against savior he was the best of the starters they're going to need antoine john to be better this weekend but you know grayson hit is is you know he he's a sophomore um, this is going to be a, a pretty big step for him to go on the road and, and face Texas. So what, what are guys like that able to do this weekend is what I'm watching. I, I, I want to see these Alabama, Alabama pitchers against a Texas offense that, I mean, I know everyone's focused on the, the pitching and defense part of it for the horns. Like I'm, I'm certainly a part of that. That's what I wrote about in the cover story uh, for, for them. But the the lineup is is very much clicking right now for the horns and and what is Alabama going to be able to do to to slow that down? Yeah, this is certainly not going to be something that Alabama hasn't considered and probably uh, bemoaned over the last uh, however long they've been preparing for this series, I guess. But uh, boy, this this series takes on a little bit of a different feel if Connor Prelip is around, right? Because he's a guy who could go toe to toe with whoever Texas is throwing on Friday and really gives Alabama a chance there. And once you've got that Friday game, which is no sure thing. Sure. Like I'm not counting that as a win, but you'd certainly like their chances. And once you have that first win now, like go win a couple toss-ups, you know, or, or at least one toss-up and then boom, you're there. Not having that is just a blow. And, and I don't, you know, I don't need to belabor that point for the Alabama fans listening to this, but you know, I think that's why it's big. You mentioned the pitching staff, a guy like Antoine John, I mean, start last weekend, walked four and two innings and, control has been an issue for him in the past. So it's just not something you can afford to do against Texas and expect to be successful. I mean, that goes without saying, but he's a big piece because he was not what Connor Prelip was uh, immediately. You know, Connor Prelip flashed so much as a freshman and uh, we, we saw what he was capable of, but Antoine John was highly thought of as well. The ceiling is high for him and he, he's the type of guy who could you know, lead an SEC rotation if it, if it all clicks for him. So um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that as well. I, I'm, um, you know, hopeful for a good series, obviously, but for Alabama's sake, hopeful that, um, you know, they really are kind of able to, to stick in this thing and, and make a run of it. I think Texas would probably welcome that as well because Texas going into the Shriners tournament in Minute Maid Park next week, um, you know, I think they probably in a perfect world would want to have been pushed a little bit going into that because they're guaranteed to get pushed that weekend. And you don't necessarily want to go into that without having been a little bit battle tested. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, that's definitely fair. That they would like to see uh, that getting getting punched back 
you know, right now it feels like what Texas has done is they've landed the first punch in every game that they've played. And that's been enough. Like everyone, nobody has punched back yet. So getting somebody to punch back at them this weekend, namely the, the, the tide would probably be beneficial uh, to Texas because it's going to happen at some point, whether it happens next weekend uh, at, in Houston or in two weeks at South Carolina or in three weeks when the big 12 play starts, somebody is going to eventually punch back. Uh, and the sooner you see how, how you respond to that, I, I would think the better. Alrighty, let's uh, let's stick. Uh, well, not not stick in Texas, as it were, but just head over one state uh, to Louisiana. We've got an intriguing matchup here of Louisiana Tech and Tulane. La Tech uh, off to a really nice start. They beat LSU on Wednesday, as we said early in in the podcast. And Tulane also off to a really nice start. These were two regional cal- regional caliber teams from a year ago. Tulane ultimately, you know, slipped down the stretch and didn't make it. La Tech, of course, hosted regionals. Uh, but th- these are two good teams going at it, two teams that are expected to be in regionals this year. And, uh, you know, anytime you get the those in-state games in Louisiana, they're, I, I think they're really fun. Uh, that state loves college baseball, of course. And this one's a little bit of an inter-regional uh, within the state. You, you have a team from up north in, in Ruston against, you know, the team in New Orleans and Tulane. Uh, so hopefully uh, get a fun weekend of baseball uh, out, out there in Louisiana. Yeah, it was uh, looked like a fun atmosphere in Ruston uh, against LSU. And boy, you look at you look at LaTeX team, team stat sheet and, and you and I this time of year. I don't know about you. I assume it's the same. Your eyes are just so used to you open up a stat sheet for a team and it's like you know 15 players long and everyone's played or pitched about the same right i mean not so much maybe with the position players but a lot of guys have played but on the mound it's like everybody has pitched once so far right and maybe twice um la tech has thrown only eight pitchers in four games like that is a team that knows exactly who they are and what they're trying to do um because to your point you made about one of the teams earlier this this in this podcast i forget which one but you know you're really just kind of trying pieces out right now and la tech has essentially gone like yeah no thanks we're we're good but we we know who we got i mean so and can't argue with the results so far um and the wins and losses so we will uh you know we will see if they expand that this weekend or if they kind of run out the, the same guys obviously they pushed a little harder to win the the lsu game than they would against had they played another lower level in-state rival um, because they, that's, that's a, to the, what we talked about earlier, resume building win. they wanted that win for reasons beyond just the wins and losses, it's obviously a, an in-state rivalry rivalry thing. So maybe they have a chance to, to spread it out a little bit more this weekend, but you know, uh, Tulane's good enough to beat them if they, you know, if, if, uh, they end up messing around too much there. So, um, I'm with you on, on, on Tulane having been a regional caliber team last year that just the numbers didn't quite work out in favor of. Um, and it feels like this is more general, not specific to this, this weekend, but it, it, it really feels like Tulane has been in that space now for a while. And that has to be maddening for the people around that program, because I do think they've probably been good enough a handful of times in the last several years. And it was always just, Oh, the offense is awesome, and there wasn't quite enough pitching, and we we just had you know got cold at the wrong time, or we didn't play well in the conference tournament, 
and that really kind of created our chances, all that kind of stuff. It seems like there's always like a thing that, that happened that just had a miss, but this is an early opportunity for the wave to, to score some, some points here, not in a literal sense, obviously, but in terms of well, uh, RPI points, <laughs> but you're right. I was, what I was doing there was defending myself against the idea that people might actually think that I it runs are called points. I don't know why <laughs> someone would actually think someone hosting a baseball podcast would think that, but you know, you're always kind of trying people to people like, think wild things. Yeah. You're just always and don't know. Right. Like you're just all always kind of having to play defense against somebody assuming that you're the biggest idiot who's ever like sat in front of a microphone, which I might be by the way, but not for that reason. Uh, anyway, uh, both these teams are good. I think they can, these are, these are the types of series that I kind of enjoy because it, it makes a lot of sense that these programs don't always get scheduled by the biggest opponents that could possibly schedule them in the region because they could get beat. Um, so, you know what, let's just, let's play each other and, have a good weekend of baseball, and then hopefully it ends up counting for something at the end. Tulane is 4-0. They have not really played much of a, a schedule to this point. It's UMass Lowell and Nichols State. No offense to, to anyone involved. Uh, but So this weekend, it's A, a big step up in competition, and B, going on the road to a stadium that we know can be a pretty hostile environment. Um, the new Love Shack is only a year old at this point, but given what we saw at the conference USA tournament, what we saw at numerous non-conference games last year, what we saw in the regional, like we know what, what Rustin can be right now. Uh, So Tulane has to deal with that twofold, just the step up in competition and the fact that they're playing on the road for the first time in a really tough venue. So I'm very interested to see how they handle that. Uh, offensively, they've been pretty good to this point. Trevor Minder, no surprise, has been leading the way. Uh, and they've gotten contributions on the mound from the guys you would expect. You know, Dylan Carmouche uh, came in and, and pitched really well for them. Uh, and, you know, they, they've they've got options. I, I am looking forward to learning more about this team, though, because right now uh, we don't know enough. Um, those, those first four games just really did not teach us anything new about Tulane, and I – I'm curious to know what more, what more there is to know about the green wave. And, and hopefully this weekend is, uh, is revealing in that, in that way. That's a, a good shout by you on Trevor Minder hitting the ball. Well, he was a guy who, you know, I think early in the year, I, I wrote something at some point about, he looked a little bit like the heir apparent to, you know, Cody Hosey and, and guys like that in the lineup. It seemed like Tulane had one of those every year that just kind of popped and then moved on to pro baseball. And Minder had a, good start to 2020 and then it just didn't translate in 2021 and part of that was injury so it's no fault of his necessarily so um perhaps this is him kind of uh breaking out in the way we expected for him him last year ben at least one of the other guys to watch here for those who uh weren't paying attention last year i ben at lee hit something like 430 last year and wasn't the starting catcher from day one like he kind of earned his way into the role and then he just never stopped hitting yeah, he, he did not qualify for the batting title because he only played, I want to say, like 35 games or something. But yes, it was very good once he got in there. Yeah, just kind of insane. Like just it was it was like the logical answer to the question of like, what if a, what if like a player just started hitting and like never just got two hits every day, basically. Um, so, yeah, incredible season for him. So he's another guy to watch there. He he, he he wore down a little bit at the end of the year. Like he wasn't as good defensively as he was offensively. And, you know, he's a freshman catcher. So stuff like that tends to, to crop up, but yeah. So between those two guys and the rest of the lineup, I think it's a, a pretty, pretty good group for the wave. Um, 
and we'll, you know, we'll see how they deal with the, to the point I made a minute ago, a lot tech pitching staff that just kind of knows who they are, not the flashiest pitching staff, but a group that knows how to pitch. So interesting matchup there. Yeah. Jonathan Fincher on Friday night for La Tech is uh, as good a college pitcher as, as you know, you'll, you'll find around really. I mean, he's, he was phenomenal for them last year and, and off to a good start this year. And uh, that's who, uh, that's who Tulane's going to have to deal with on Friday night there. All right, Joe, those were the games that I picked out as the uh, the headliners for the weekend. I should say we picked out, like you you, you helped this week on that. Uh, what, uh, is, what, what do you got under the radar for, for the folks that really want to dig into it this weekend? Okay, and crank me or jump in if there's one I missed here, because I know you, because the, this weekend was relatively weak, uh, you had to kind of do a little more digging than you normally do for this kind of stuff. And, and I also wasn't sure what was going to be in our main part of our show. So I, I may, I may miss one here. Feel free to, to jump in as I rattle off some of these before we get to the one I've actually chosen. So uh, West Virginia at Charlotte. Um, we talked about Charlotte in the recap podcast. Uh, West Virginia is a team I'm interested in seeing this season, just because I didn't really project them to, to compete in the big 12 this year. Um, I don't know that that anything has changed there necessarily, but I will say is that the young players that they, you know, brought in this most recent recruiting class, notably Grant Hussey have been really good early on for them. And the competition they played wasn't bad. I mean, they were at the coastal tournament with central Michigan and obviously coastal. So like they played some pretty good teams and looked pretty good. So that's a team that has, has made me perk up a little bit. So uh, I think this will be a good test for them. I think they'll be able to swing the bats against a Charlotte pitching staff that is still very much figuring out who they are. There could be some high scores there. Uh, a series I will be at just quickly, Maryland at Campbell. I'll be there Friday night. Uh, Campbell, not the start they would have hoped for. I mean, a, a midweek loss to East Carolina, like that's okay. You know, you get that. But um, losing a series to Appalachian State, not ideal opening weekend, especially for a team that has at-large aspirations. Maryland is coming off of a, a sweep of Baylor. Um, so I'll be kind of interested to see that team up close. Uh, speaking of Baylor, Duke is traveling to Baylor. Uh, Baylor needs that bad man. Um, you know, they, to, to start off one and five or oh and six, even at home against two good teams, like those losses aren't uh, death knells necessarily for whatever they want to do this season. Obviously from a conference title perspective, it doesn't mean anything at all, but you know, if you want to start talking early resume stuff, like that's just a tough hole to climb out of against some of the good teams on your schedule. They need it. Duke also didn't look great against VMI to start the season. So there's, there's also that standpoint. Speaking of teams that need wins, Nebraska traveling to Texas, take on TCU that is being played at globe life uh, in Arlington. Again, if you're going there, I assume it's the same as Minute park. Teddy and I have both been no, in there this have, time of year. It's heated. Oh, thank God for them. Okay. Like th- that's the thing is like, <laughs> I've lived in the Midwest. I've been to plenty of cold places. The coldest I've ever been has probably been at some of those Minute Maid tournaments early in the season where the temperature is not that low, but like the wind comes in through that crack in the roof, that gap in the roof and just swirls around the stadium. Um, there, there have been some brutally cold days there. Uh, but anyway, Honestly, though, needs- sometimes it's colder when they actually close the yeah. roof in Minute Maid. Yes, 100%. <laughs> no, 100%. Because it does create that wind tunnel effect. Yeah, there's been times I've walked out of that stadium at night and been like, oh, it's so much warmer out here. Um, but Nebraska needs wins. Um, they got some bad news. Jake Bunn's out for the year. One of their key pitchers. That's not great. Uh, TCU, a team I haven't seen a lot of probably will not see this weekend either just cause you know, other things. And it's, it's, you know, I'll check in there probably, but it's not a team I'm bearing down on yet. So, uh, that maybe we'll learn something there. 
Nevada, UC Santa Barbara, a couple of regional teams last year. That's interesting out West. Always like to see that out West, a couple of good teams playing each other like that. Sam Houston visiting Dallas Baptist. Um, Dallas Baptist took a series loss to, to SEMO opening weekend. I still think that's the favorite in the Valley though. I'm not worried from that standpoint. Um, but this is a good, this Sam Houston team, like we talked about that might be better than we think. So I think there's a chance that's a pretty competitive series in Dallas. Uh, before I move on, I, to and I would say talking if about, DBU wants to be an at-large team, like they will yeah. have more shots later, but they need to avoid taking yeah. a bunch of losses early on. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a good point, especially when you consider that SEMO, that, that's probably the favorite in the Ohio Valley and is a good team. Um, that's also entirely possible that SEMO could be that and also have an RPI like at 175, just because the schedule they're going to play is not going to allow for a lot of RPI help there. So uh, you're, you're, you are correct. Dallas Baptist would really like to not mess around too much here. It feels like they have some room for error more so than most Missouri Valley teams, but not necessarily a ton. Um, is there anything I missed there that uh, we should mention to the people before I get to what we're actually going to break down a little more in depth here? I, I will give a shout to Air Force playing Navy in Kingston. I'm not actually sure if you can watch this, but anytime, you know, if you're not in Kingston, but anytime that you have the service academies getting together, uh, that's a fun one. The Tony Gwynn Legacy Tournament is happening this weekend in San Diego. It's not a blockbuster field by any means, but it's a bunch of good West Coast schools uh, coming together. And uh, I, I think those are, you know, other than the, the one we're about to, to touch on, I, I think those are the ones that, that you want to watch it from an under the radar perspective. Yeah, the uh, we don't have to, to go on a long tangent about this, but, you know, I'm sad about the Tony Gwynn tournament not being what it used to be because that, that was a, a good tournament. I don't know if it got cannibalized a little bit by the fact that UCLA and USC in another tournament that doesn't exist anymore, or at least not this year, that what they used to call the Dodger town. Um, I don't know if that started taking teams away from it and, and hurt it in that regard, but that was a, a, a tournament, the Tony Gwynn that got teams from all over the country to come around, at least for a, a few years there when it started off. And it just hasn't kept up um, in terms of the quality. Uh, so that's, that's something I actually is, is upsetting because it's, there aren't, there aren't that many, unless you're in Arizona, outside of Arizona, there's just not a lot of good tournaments early season out on the West coast. And that was one and it's no longer, no longer with us, at least in terms of, of the quality that it provided early on in the, in the history of it. That is fair. Um, one, one thing to watch out there though, is, uh, San Diego had, I don't think we actually talked about this on the weekend wrap up, but they played Oregon very well over the weekend. They won the series there. And, um, if they're able to keep that up, uh, you know, that that's a team that can contend in the West coast conference, obviously under a new coach and Brock under as, um, Rich Hill left to uh, to go to Hawaii, which uh, incidentally is is coming in for this weekend and the tournament. So uh, USD is is the the team to definitely keep your eye on out there this weekend. San Diego State um, intriguing as well. It's a uh, <laughs> Rich Hill's really living right in terms of like coaching in the places where like <laughs> in places that are just really beautiful. Like it's hard to upgrade from San Diego, but he he kind of did it by moving out to the islands. So good. Uh, Good for him there. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Kleberg Bank College Classic. And for those uninitiated, that takes place in Corpus Christi. They're playing that at Whataburger Field. 
Mm-mm, good. Uh, my favorite fast food joint. Uh, it's, <laughs> looking, I'm looking forward to I'm going to be in Houston in a couple of weeks for the tournament at Minute Maid, and I'm very much looking forward to some Whataburger. Um, so this has made me a little bit hungry. Whataburger, but it's not a sponsor, but could be. Oh, please. Uh, like, please. Like, from your mouth <laughs> to God's ears, honestly. Like, I what a dream. What a dream. Would love to read ad copy for Whataburger. Um, it's a pretty good field. And I got to say, you know, AM Corpus Christi puts this thing together. It is involved in it every year and they, they do a pretty good job. Some of it is the ability to play at a minor league facility. That's obviously a draw. Um, it's also warm. It's a beach community, like all those things help, uh, but they do a pretty good job of getting good teams down there. And so uh, kudos to them for doing this. They've got another one. So it's Iowa Pepperdine, Wichita state. And then of course the hosting AM Corpus Christi Islanders. Um, I, I will, I'll leave Iowa to you. Cause I know you've got Iowa thoughts. I'll, I'll focus on some of the other teams here. You know, Pepperdine is, is coming off a pretty good start. Villanova series. Okay. You know, um, they swept that. You certainly would prefer sweeping it versus the alternative. They get a midweek win over UCLA in dramatic fashion. John Peck, their shortstop, a late grand slam to kind of deliver that win for them. And he's, he's the guy who makes their offense go out there. Pepperdine tends to be a pitching and defense focused outfit. Trevor Niskern, uh, pitch really well against uh, Villanova, five shutout innings. He's a, a veteran piece there. Nathan Diamond uh, pitched really well against UCLA, seven strikeouts and four and two-thirds innings. So that's a team that last year underachieved expectation. Uh, nobody was more surprised by that than, than I was last year just because they were so good in 2020. And we could nitpick the 2020 resume in hindsight, you know, like how good were the wins really? but they were the types of wins you need to, to, to kind of build an at-large resume and to look like the favorite in the WCC. And then they came out last year and it just wasn't, wasn't the same. And, and COVID affected everyone and maybe affected some programs differently. So maybe there's something to that specifically, but either way, it just wasn't a team that had the same juice that they had in 2020. So perhaps uh, we are seeing a little bit of a, a restart of that. Wichita State's another team that needs the wins, frankly, 0-4. Start to the season, got swept by Louisiana Tech. Not a lot of shame in that, although they would have certainly liked to grab a game there um, just because uh, that's, that's you know, when, when you're on the road against good teams, you, you want to salvage something out of it. Uh, Jace Kaminska is the, you know, the most, the name most people might know, pitcher for them who was really, really good last year. He really struggled against Louisiana Tech. So that's going to be key for them. They're hitting 225 as a team. That's not going to get it done. It's a team that I think Teddy and I like individually but we're going to need to obviously see a little more out of them this weekend, especially if they are going to toy with being a postseason team again. Um, A&M Corpus, you know, kind of a nice series win against UTA to start the season. We don't know exactly how good that program is, but that that's a, a like program to A&M Corpus Christi. And they, they win that series and they, they lost in the midweek uh, versus Texas. Certainly that was not a surprising result there. One name to watch there is Hayden Thomas and how they use him. He's their biggest arm. He's a pro prospect. You know, he's got Cape Cod experience. He pitched against Texas. I, you know, he, he did start opening weekend, but only through a couple innings. He pitched against Texas and threw a little bit more. Maybe they, they just wait until Sunday to use him or something. I'm, I'm not sure. I've not seen the rotation from them, but he's a, he's a name to watch, assuming he ends up starting a game as normal because he's, he's a guy who can, on his best days, you know, shut down most offenses and, and gives them a chance to win each time out. So a little, little name to file away there for the Islanders. But I, I, will, I will now clear out and let you talk a little bit of Iowa. I know you have some, some thoughts on the Hawkeyes who are off to a, a good 3-0 start. Yeah, so Iowa is a team that we picked to go to a regional coming into the year. Uh, picked them to finish fourth in the Big Ten and 
frankly, if I had to write the Big Ten preview right now, I don't know. Maybe I would pick Iowa second behind Maryland. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but Maryland or Maryland, Maryland was impressive on opening weekend, but Iowa was was impressive opening weekend. The competition was, I mean, let's just acknowledge that it was so-so. Like it was, they played Air Force, Ball State, and Bucknell at the uh, Swig and Swine tournament in Charleston, South Carolina. Those are the, well, I don't want to speak to Bucknell, but Air Force and Ball State are solid teams. Um, Ball State certainly was a regional caliber team a year ago, should have made regionals, didn't get that at-large spot, um, finished in the first four out uh, officially. Air Force is a really talented team and has some really talented players kind of like right off the edge of, of regional caliber. At least the, the, that's where those teams were last year. We'll see where they end up this year, but Iowa went out and, and they just took care of business. And what really stands out is what they did on the mound. They allowed a total of six hits on the weekend. They started it off with a one hitter against Air Force. The one hit was a Paul Skeen's home run uh, in the first inning. And that was it then for Air Force. They two hit Ball State on Saturday and then they three hit um, Bucknell on Sunday. That's obviously very loud to hold any three teams to six hits on a weekend. Uh, and Iowa did it with some serious power on the mound. Adam Mazur, who transferred from South Dakota State over the summer, uh, was their Friday starter, was up to 97. Um, he retired the last 16 hitters he faced after that Paul Skeen's home run on Friday. Uh, and, and it just kept going from there. Brody Brecht, who was one of the top freshmen uh, to make it to campus uh, in the country, touched 100. He's not even in Iowa's rotation right now. He is a two-sport athlete. He plays wide receiver for the football team. And I don't know whether he'll eventually move into the rotation or if they like him coming out of the bullpen in a, a piggyback role or whatever. But he touched 100 in his first collegiate appearance. Uh, they had... You know, Marcus Morgan, another freshman, up to 94. There, there's just an incredible array of pitching that Iowa can throw at you. And it's not all about power arms. They're also just pitching well. Uh, but right now they have power arms that you don't typically see, um, you know, really anywhere around the country. But but certainly from a northern school coming out firing like they did on opening weekend, that's that's not something we're, we're used to seeing. And it's a big reason why I think Iowa can uh, can make a lot of noise this year. And um, from a draft perspective, they're really exciting to watch. Mazer is a top three, four round type pick, uh, but it, it's a it's an older group overall, and it's a group that that certainly should challenge for a regional and and should challenge for a Big Ten title. Yeah, and it's you know we we joke a lot about Iowa. Joke is maybe not the right, but we just have this kind of running gag about Iowa, you know, is always 25% better than they look on paper. And so in past years, they've toyed with being a regional team and they, they kind of frankly just have this like bad habit of putting themselves in position and then collapsing down the stretch. But if you want to assume that that just kind of all washes out and over the course of the season is about even like it is time, uh, it is on schedule now for Iowa to kind of be back in the postseason mix. This is kind of the, the typical cycle they they require is you know two three four years away from it and they come back and typically that team that 
puts them back in the postseason is, is a really good team that can compete nationally beyond just getting to the postseason. And so perhaps that yeah, team is, that's the is, thing is, is that they're, they're years away are like bubble out, like don't blow a series against Northwestern late in the season and you're in kind of deal. But Iowa the last couple of years hasn't been able to avoid that. Uh, so it, it, it's not like they're finishing 12th in the big 10 They're They're just finishing on the outside. And so, yeah, they're, they're ready to go this year, even if they were slightly off your radar a year ago, a, because the big 10 was playing conference only and B because they were not ultimately in regionals. Yeah. It's so in this, this team feels like the type of team that sometimes I, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, like I get allured by these teams that, they bring back everybody from last year. And those don't get me wrong. Like those teams do have high ceilings of everything clicks, but sometimes the better mix is, Hey, we've got a lot of veteran and they do have a lot of veterans in this, in this group that are guys who have been around for a long time names that, that you would recognize, but they also do have a younger group that has pushed the veterans. And some of that is on the mound. And so that's also in the lineup. So it, it is kind of a nice mix of we've got the veteran leadership. We've got guys we know we can count on, but also we've got some of these younger guys that are really pushing to get on the field quickly, um, which I can only imagine has created like an, an extra competitive atmosphere uh, throughout, you know, fall and preseason practice and what have you. And, and coaches talk about that. And sometimes it's easy to kind of roll your eyes at it and say like, okay, I mean, that we hear that from every coach in the country, but I think this is where it does end up mattering a little bit when you have this mix, particular mix of players where you have a really talented young group that's forcing their way into the conversation. And then you have a lot of veterans who don't want to necessarily cede ground to them in terms of getting on the mound and getting at bats and, and things of that nature. So uh, we'll have to see, but it, it does feel like it's a group that is capable of uh, good things and could be a particularly good mix in terms of the roster. So if you're headed down to uh, Corpus Christi this weekend, that's uh, absolutely a team worthy uh, of your time to, to check out. I uh, the last thing, you too, the weather will be a little bit warmer than it will be yes. in other places. Although I'm looking now and it's like in the low fifties and rainy. So like, I apologize in advance <laughs> for giving people hope if they are heading down there, that is not particularly good weather. Um, but we'll, we'll at least hope for the rain part to hold off. The last thing I wanted to touch on quickly here is that the Ivy League is back this weekend. College baseball is whole for the first time in 700 and I think it was 17 days, uh, excluding the fact that Penn played LaSalle and some other local competition a few times last year. Uh, that's how long it's been since the Ivy League teams have been in action. They are back this weekend and several of them are diving right into it. Uh, there are like four Ivy League teams, maybe it's five playing either SEC or ACC competition this weekend, uh, to which I say, good luck. <laughs> I can't imagine not playing live baseball for two years and then diving into that, but um, uh, we'll see how, how that goes. It is just exciting that the Ivy League is returning. Uh, both teams that individually opted out of last season, Maryland Eastern Shore and Bethune-Cookman last weekend returned. Uh, and now this week, the the Ivy League is is coming back. Yeah, I wrote about that a little bit in the in Three Strikes this week, just because it, it's such a unique, obviously, you know, it goes without saying it was just a unique circumstance. But I mean, I, I, the example I gave there is think about it this way. You were a freshman in 2019 and maybe... Maybe you played quite a bit, maybe you didn't, but either way you went into 2020 kind of thinking like, okay, 
Like I've got a year of this under my belt. I'm a little more comfortable with the commitment it takes to like play baseball and also, oh, by the way, go to school at an Ivy League school. And so 2020, I'm going to be a way more prepared for this. Like I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to be a big contributor this year. Well, your, your season gets canceled after seven, eight games in most cases for Ivy League schools. Then the 2021 season gets canceled. And assuming you're still on campus and, and sticking with the program, like you're now a senior and you've got like one last shot to, to like do this. Um, so that has created a situation where it's really hard to know what to expect from the Ivy League on top of the fact that Ivy League institutions are not allowed to play graduate students uh, as part of athletic competition. So whereas most schools around the country could offer fifth and sixth years to upperclassmen, Ivy League schools have lost a boatload of players over the last couple of years as they matriculated out of school, but also just some who are like, yeah, I, I'm not going to sit out two years. Um, I'm, I'm going to go play somewhere else. So um, who knows what we're going to see from the Ivy League this year, but it is good to have them back. All righty. Uh, that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. You can follow us throughout the weekend on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Show is at Joe Healy BA. And we'll have plenty of content over on the website, baseballamerica.com, to read. We'll be back here with another episode of the Baseball America College podcast on Monday on our typical uh, twice-a-week schedule here going forward throughout the season. So make sure you are subscribed uh, to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts you can find us and while you're there rate and review we appreciate that very much as well hopefully we've got another great weekend of baseball lined up hopefully everyone is able to get as much in as possible given the weather situation no matter what we will have it all covered for you uh, throughout the weekend and then again next week on the podcast for joe i'm teddy we'll talk to you next time After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.